Good morning, Cornwall Church. It is good to have you here in the room. And those of you who are worshiping with us online, so great. Hasn't it been an incredible morning of worship already? Our team that has led us. I mean, just amazing time. So grateful to be able to gather together, lift up the name of Jesus. And we're glad that you're here in the room or from wherever you're watching, whether you're by yourself, with a friend, with a family, in a community group around the country, around the world. We're glad that you're worshiping with us online here today. Um, If you've been around any length of time, you know that I'm kind of a product of the 70s, 80s, and you hear that. And so for some of you, you're like, why does, you know, he needs to, whatever. That's just, it's it's who I am. So we'll continue with that. Um, in the 80s, there was a commercial that was commonly played on television. It was usually in a restaurant setting, and there was a, two individuals at a table talking, and, and there was the ambient noise of a restaurant in the back room, and they're making dishes, and there's people talking. There's clanking of silverware and cups and glasses, and this couple of these two individuals at the table would be talking, and, and one of them would say, well, uh, who is your broker? And he said, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And Hutton says, and when he says, and Hutton says everything goes silent. There's no more ambient noise. There's no more clattering of silverware. There's no more clanking. There's no more conversations. Everyone leans in. And then this tagline, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Now, I'm getting no commissions on this. I'm not suggesting E.F. Hutton. I don't even know if it exists. But the whole point is this. When Jesus would talk, People would listen. They would stop what they were doing. They would lean in. In fact, it says that they would, in, 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 um, in Luke chapter 12, that they would come when he would talk, when he would teach, when he would preach, they would come by the thousands, so much so that they were even trampling each other to try and get there. There was like this, this mob mentality to try to hear him talk. So here's this Jewish rabbi, this this teacher, the greatest teacher of all times, who has this sage wisdom and and these lessons about life and things that are profound and deep. And I, I will say this, and this is in no way just a figure of speech. His content was second to none. I mean, if you ever think you can do better than Jesus, you need help. I mean, he, he never just sat around saying, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with some thoughts that I, I'm not sure. It's a theory I'm working on, but let me just share it with you. Never does he say, well, I've been wondering, and, and I'm kind of contemplating. Never does he even say, I've, I've learned a few things, and I've discovered some stuff. I know some truth. In fact, he would say these words, I am the truth. I mean, he's like, I'm the personification. I'm the embodiment. I am truth incarnate. You can't make a statement like that unless you can back it up with some pretty serious truth. And he does. Matthew chapter 7, we read these words. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught as one who has authority. These other guys, I mean, they're, they're the professionals. They know the scriptures. They, they know it all. But when Jesus talks, there's, there's something, it's, it's deeper, it's more profound, and yet it's more understandable. It's more applicable. It's, you can grasp it. You can understand it. And it's not just what he said, but how he said it that made it so engaging, made it so accessible. I, there's a story. I love this story because there's, to me, there's humor in it. In uh, John chapter 7, the religious leaders are upset about Jesus. They send some temple guards to go arrest him. So go, and you're, you've got one duty, go arrest Jesus. You've got to stop him. So they go to the temple, and Jesus is there. They come back empty-handed. They come back to the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, all these. They come back without Jesus, and they're kind of like, 
listen, we gave you one task, go arrest Jesus, and you come back empty-handed without Jesus. What's the deal? Some of this is my paraphrase. But, but they didn't say, well, well, he outran us, or he overpowered us, or the people were revolting. Why is it that you don't have Jesus? This was their response. No one has ever spoken like this man does. And that's it? I mean, he says some words and you guys give up. But there was something about the way he said that he had more authority. And it wasn't just to get the oohs and the ahs and the amazed people and wow them. He wanted them to engage. He wanted them to connect. He wanted them to understand. And he wanted their lives to be transformed by the truths that he spoke. So you'd think if he has more authority than the teachers of the law, it must have been deeper. It must have been more academic. It must have been more technical. But what it was about how he spoke was that Jesus told stories. I mean, non-threatening, everyday stories that they could understand, they could grasp, they get that real life stuff. And on the surface, it looks like just a simple story. And yet, as they thought about it, as they turned it over in their mind, they began to realize that in this simple story was this incredible depth of truth that he would teach. The great American novelist, Pulitzer Prize winner actually, um, Richard Powers said this, said the best arguments in the world won't change a single person's mind. The only thing that can do that is a good story. And Jesus told story after story after story. In fact, of the red letter stuff in the Bible, the recorded words of Jesus, 35% of those are him telling stories. And if you, you do research on the parables, uh, these stories called parables, depending on who's counting and how they categorize them and which ones are double counted and which ones are not, he told somewhere, depending on who you ask and how they count, somewhere between 35 and 55 parables, these stories. Sometimes they were back to back, sometimes they were short, sometimes they were long, sometimes they were saying the same thing in different angles, different kinds of stories. 35 to 55 of these stories. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, just that one chapter, read it sometime, preferably not in the next 35 minutes. Matthew chapter 13, he tells seven different stories, seven different parables, and half of this series that we're going to be in are from the parables found in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, there's a little bit more of an explanation about this whole thing of Jesus telling stories. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. And then he quotes uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. See, it's not just story time with Uncle Jesus. He said, these stories that I'm telling you are unveiling some secrets, some mysteries that have been hidden from the foundation of creation. And maybe they've been hidden in plain sight. And when I tell you these stories, you're going to be able to see some things that people have longed for. And the prophets didn't get it. And the teachers of the law didn't get it. But I will tell you in a simple story. And you will see these incredible truths as he teaches. Now, the parable, I mean, that word itself, para, we, we're familiar with para. You, know, you have a, a paramedic, you have a paraeducator, you have a paralegal, someone that comes alongside and helps out. The other part of that word is, is balo, which means literally to throw or to hurl. The, the literal translation of the word parable is to throw alongside. That's what it means, is to throw alongside. That Jesus comes and he throws a story alongside of a truth 
so that it's explained, so that it's illustrated, so that it's understandable, so we can take what we do understand and help us then grasp what we hadn't understood. And so he does this, and he just throws these parables, these stories, alongside of these deep truths that have been hidden from the very foundations of the world. And it's an amazing thing as he does this. And Jesus used parables to reveal and to conceal. There would be times when, when it would make very obvious the things that had been hidden. I mean, he just, he just quotes that out of Psalm 78. But often, a parable is followed up with these words from Isaiah, you're ever seeing but never perceiving. You're always hearing but not understanding. That it's somehow concealing some truth that for some people, he can tell a story and they go, I get it. For others, they're like, I missed it. And, and, and it depends on, on how you hear this story. Now, I will say this before we get into it. These are not like story problems. A train left Cleveland going 55 miles an hour. It's not that at all. Because some of you are like, don't give us more story problems. We finally got out of that math class. Okay, it's not a story problem. It's a story that he tells. And we're going to spend the next eight weeks looking at some of these stories. Now, again, with the fact that there's 35 to 55 of these parables that he told, we're not going to get anywhere close. In the next eight weeks, we will cover eight to ten of them. There are so many more. Some of them are very familiar to you. Some of them maybe you've never heard before. Some of them you may understand for the first time. But we're going to look at these. The one that I'm going to look at today was specifically chosen, as far as the others throughout the series, they weren't necessarily put in order. This one was. The parable that we're going to look at today, I wanted to start with this parable for a very, very um, intentional reason. It's, it's a parable that Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke all record, all three of them. Some of the parables are in three Gospels, some in two, some in one. This is one of those parables that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record, and they almost all record it, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. They almost all record it verbatim. Few little words difference, but pretty much all word for word the same parable. What's interesting is in Mark's gospel, and this is what we're going to look at later, so if you want to get there, it'll be Mark chapter 4. In Mark's gospel, he puts this as the first parable that Jesus told. Whether it is or not, it doesn't really matter, but for this uh, series, I think it's important to put it up front, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Here's the other thing that's very interesting about this parable, is that it's one of the few parables where Jesus actually explains it. He actually says, this is what this means. There's only a couple of them that he does this with. Usually he'll tell this story and then he just kind of leaves it hanging. Let you think about this for a while. Discuss amongst yourself. Discern what is this saying. Kind of try to discover what is the truth in this. And he gives you this chance to kind of discover some things. And, and maybe someone's thinking, well, I think it means this. And I think it means this. And I'm not sure, but maybe it means this. Kind of like if, if you remember uh, the song Puff the Magic Dragon. Is that a fictitious story about a boy and his pet dragon? Is it a story about a boy and a kite? Is it a story about a boy that made his way into the cannabis shop? We don't know, but, and why I'm talking about Puff the Magic Dragon in church, regardless. Jesus says, I want to leave no doubt and no question about this. I want you to be very clear of what this one means. I don't want there to be any obscurity. I don't want there to be any uh, ambiguity. You will know. And so he explains this one very clearly. So in Mark chapter 4, it starts off this way. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, Sea of Galilee. It's not the, last, not the first time, not the last time. He's up there by the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. 
Now that makes sense. There's people pressing in. Uh, sound travels incredible across water. So if he goes out and he can just kind of project his voice all across the, the seashore, all across the, the bank of the lake there, they can hear this. And while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, listen. Now, Mark's gospel is the only one that starts with this word. I'm telling you up front, there's going to be a quiz that comes up two times in this sermon. It's a one-question quiz with one answer. The question on the quiz is, what's the first word that Jesus says in the parable? The answer is, listen. All right, shall we do a practice quiz? Quiz time, what's the first word Jesus says in the parable? Okay, anytime there's a quiz today, that's the answer. So you got an A if you'll just remember that. He says, listen. Now, why does he say, listen? I mean, is he trying to get their attention? Is he, are they, there's so much commotion, he's trying to get them to settle down. It's like, again, I remember this little comedy sketch in high school, and I hesitate even saying this because I can't remember all of it, but it was from Cheech and Chong. Here we go, we got Puff the Magic Dragon and Cheech and Chong in the same sermon. But, but there was this, this, this little comedy sketch about this, this Catholic nun who was a school teacher, who's a substitute school teacher. Her name is Sister Mary Elephant. And the class is unruly, and she would say, class, class. Anyone remember this at all? And then she would yell, shut up! And they'd all quiet down and she'd go, thank you. And she'd go on, and then they'd get unruly, unruly, and then she'd say, class, class, shut up! I mean, that's just kind of the tagline. Now, again, I don't remember the rest of it, so please, don't go listen to it. I don't think Jesus is up there saying, disciples, disciples, listen! I don't think that's what he's getting at here. I don't think he's trying to get them to quiet down. I think there's something far more deep, far more significant for them. Because for the Jewish person, which all of his listeners were Jewish, the centerpiece of their most important prayer, the centerpiece of their entire pro, uh, prayer life was a prayer found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's called the Shema because that's the Hebrew word for hear. Not hear spatially. Hear. Hear. And I think when Jesus starts off, he says, listen, it takes them back to what has been the centerpiece of their entire prayer life, one of the most important uh, tenets of their entire existence and, and identity and their faith. Hear, O Israel. And Jesus says, listen. Listen. I'm about to unveil to you some secrets that have been hidden since the foundations of the world. So listen. And I think as we go into this series, I think Jesus would say to us, Cornwall Church, listen. Listen. Some people would say that this parable that we're going to look at today is actually a parable about parables. And maybe it is, maybe it's more than that. A parable about how is it that you listen to these stories that Jesus tells? How is it that as you listen, that truths will either be revealed to you or concealed to you. It depends on how you listen. And that maybe this is not just a parable about parables, but it's a parable about parables. It's a parable about this series. It's a parable about Scripture. It's a parable about any spiritual truth. Just listen and learn to listen so that God can unveil the truths that will change your life. Ready for the parable? Let's read it straight through, and then we'll slow down. All right. Listen. That's going to be on a quiz, by the way. <laughs> a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
As he was scattering the seeds, so he's out there, he's, he's sowing this, planting the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Still other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Now, some of you right now are saying, I know this story. I've heard this story. You've been raised with this story. Maybe you've taught this story. You know how it goes. You know how the explanation goes. You understand it all. I would say, quiz time. What's the first word that Jesus starts with? Now, listen. He starts with this word. and He says, listen, listen. He tells the parable. And then like bookends, he comes back with a similar conclusion. Verse 9, it says this. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, tells the story. If you have ears to hear, then hear. And then he leaves it. And some of them are going, oh, okay, I got that. Some are probably thinking, I got nothing. I, I have no clue what he's talking about. Others are saying, oh, it's simple. I mean, he shouldn't be talking about this. He's a carpenter, but he's giving us farmer advice. This is the farm and garden report. And he's gotten a little exaggerated. No one ever gets 30, 60, or 100-fold. 5 to 7% maybe, but I mean, he just needs to stick to carpentry. Okay, whatever. So Jesus leaves. And then later, his disciples and others gather around him. When he was alone with the 12 and the others around him, they asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, we could spend hours talking about what is this secret he's talking about. Is Jesus himself the secret of the kingdom of God? Well, yeah, obviously. Is it these words that he's been speaking about the gospel and the message? Well, yeah, truly, that's the secret. Is it that they have this capacity to perceive more and, and to understand more possibly? For, for our sake today, let's just not get down into the weeds of what secret is he talking about, but maybe what he's saying is, I want to tell you the key to how to understand these stories, the key that will unlock the mysteries that have been hidden, the key that will allow you to be transformed, the key that will bring you into life in the kingdom and how to live that life. There's a secret, and it's been given to you. So, in verse 14, he just says simply, the farmer sows the word. This is like he's going to unveil this. The farmer, you know in the story, the farmer, he sows not seeds, but the word, the word of God, the gospel, the message of Jesus. And I think some of the disciples are going, yes, I knew it, I knew it, I got it right, that's good. Others are probably going, I, okay, wait, I'm, okay, I'm still lost. Because, okay, you got a farmer and he's throwing words. Okay, wait, I'm still lost. And others, all of a sudden, it's like, it, it clicks in, kind of like, like that Edith Bunker moment. Oh, 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 oh gee. Oh. And they, all of a sudden, it's like, I get it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. John Ortberg, in his book, Soul Keeping, uh, in his treatment of this parable, he talks about this parable in one of the chapters. He said, one of the things that's really helpful in interpreting parables, understanding parables, is to recognize what changes and what doesn't change. What are the constants and what are not? He says, in this parable, one of the constants is the farmer. That doesn't change. This isn't a parable about good farmers and bad farmers. And it, this farmer is actually very extremely generous 
with his distribution of the seed or the word. I mean, he's lavish. I mean, extravagant, almost scandalous. I mean, he just throws it without, without any kind of thought. It seems that he's just overly generous with this. So it's not, a, it's not a story about good farmers and bad farmers. Another constant is the seed, the, the word. It, and it's not, a, it's not a parable or story about good seed and bad seed. There will be another one of those. We'll hear about that in, I think, six weeks. But this one it's not about good seed and bad seed. It's not about, oh, this, the quality of this seed produces better and the quality of this seed is not so good. That's not it. The variable is the soil. That's what changes. And what Jesus is beginning to explain is that, is that there are these four seed-soil situations. He says, this is where I need you to listen. This is where I want you to discern. And I want to just explain to you these seed soil situations. And maybe this is where you find yourself in this story. And so he begins to tell them about these different situations. And it's not just farming information. He says it's time for a self-examination, to look inside. So then he just walks through it. And I want us in the remainder of our time to just walk through these. And as familiar as this is for you, I want to ask you, Listen, listen. All right, so he goes on. He says, some people, all right, so now we're talking about, the, we've got the farmer, we've got the seed. Some people, that must be the soil here. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, he uses this, this whole idea of the farmer and the seed. They get that. The path, they get that. They walked there on a path. They understand that. They were on this well-worn path that they've walked many times and it's compact and it's hard and there's wagon ruts from the wagons and the donkeys and the people and nothing grows there because it's, it's just as hard as can be. Anything that goes there would bounce off and of course the birds would come and take it away. This is the hardened soil. And he says, and some people are like this hardened soil that when they hear the truth of the kingdom of God, when they hear the gospel, it's gonna just kind of bounce off and then he says, and Satan is going to come and take it away. So when you start thinking about these people that will not hear the gospel and Satan's involved, it's real easy to think he must be talking about these recalcitrant sinners, these atheists, these Satan worshipers, these hardened criminals. Well, maybe, yes, but not exclusively. I think what Jesus would be saying is, listen, it's easy for our hearts to be hardened as well. There can be a slow calcification. There can be a, a desensitizing of our hearts. And it's very insidious because it can happen slowly and you don't even realize it. And all of a sudden, you've got this callus over your heart. Maybe it's not just the atheist. Maybe it's not just the Satan worshiper. Maybe it's the person who's got so much pride that I don't need God's word. Or maybe in this situation, it's the one who's so familiar with this very common story that we've just closed off like, yeah, I know what this is all about, and there's not an openness that maybe God would have something new. Or maybe there's a hardness of heart because of disappointments in life. God didn't answer your prayer. You feel like some things happen, and you blame God, and so there's this, this protective layer. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to open myself up. I'm not a Satan worshiper, and I'm not an atheist. I'm just not going to open myself up to being hurt again. Maybe it's the hardships of life. This life is difficult. 
And so in protection, there's just this layer of callous. There's this hardness. And Jesus would say, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be this way. It can be different. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, God would say to his people, Israel, do not harden your hearts. You don't have to. Don't harden your hearts. And I wonder when Jesus tells this story, when he explains this kind, the path, that he thinks of those words that Hosea the prophet wrote in Hosea chapter 10, I think verse 12, where it says, break up your unplowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. This hard soil, it's time to break it up. It's not been plowed. Break up that unplowed ground. It's time to seek the Lord. It doesn't have to be this way. Your heart doesn't have to be hardened. You don't have to have the word of God just bounce off of you. You break up that ground and God will meet you and do something there. Those great words out of Ezekiel where he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They won't just be bouncing off. It doesn't have to be this way. And then he goes on, verse 16. Others, other people, another group, another category, others see like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, this is different than the path. This is different than the hard soil. In fact, this is very, they're very receptive. They hear it at once, and they receive it, and they receive it with joy. This is great. This is fantastic. But there's no roots. This is like the super, superficial soil. It, it's, it's shallow. It's, it's just on the surface. And maybe there was this excitement for the things of God, for the gospel, for the, for the message of the kingdom. And, and, and it was received with great joy. But it was kind of an emotional response. It was out of this experience that you had and it was wonderful, and the feelings were great, and, 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 and it was just overwhelming. And so I made this decision. I don't know if any of you ever grew up going to youth camp. Last night at camp, around the fire, someone gives this talk. We'll never all be here again together like this. Some little guy stands up crying, says, I want Jesus in my heart, and all the cute girls come around him. That'll change your theology. <laughs> I want him too. If she comes with him, I'm in. And it's this emotional experience and this feeling. And I'm not saying that good things don't happen at youth camp. Believe me, I'm not saying that. But there's this emotional response for this experience. And then when those feelings fade, you say, well, I guess that didn't work. And there was such a quickness to receive it with joy. But there were never any roots. Or someone receives it with joy. And then, and then they thought that that meant that nothing bad would ever happen because... Jesus offers abundant life, right? And then there was that prognosis, and there was that cancer, or there was that loss of a job, or there was that betrayal, or there was that prayer that wasn't answered, and all of a sudden we think, it doesn't work for me. And there's no roots, and it was just a phase, I guess. Just kind of going through this shallow time, and then it gets hard, and then it's done. And Jesus says, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And I wonder as he tells this interpretation of the parable, I wonder if he thinks of those words from Jeremiah, very similar words to Psalm chapter 1, Jeremiah 17, verse 7, 
where it says, how blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him. That one, it'd be like a tree planted by the waters, listen to this, that sends out its roots by the stream so that it does not fear when the heat comes, the leaves stay green, nor does it worry in the season of the year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. Why? It sends out its roots. That's how we live our life. Not just a decision for Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. It's when Paul would pray for the church in Ephesus, and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, listen to this, and that you being rooted and established in love. Not on the surface, not in the shallow. There would be these roots that go deep so that when the hard times come, when the droughts come, when the, when the, the, the difficulties come, there's still... It doesn't change the circumstances, but it changes how you respond. That it doesn't have to be this way. But you can be rooted in the truth. See, I'm just saying, this is why we so desperately want you to continue to grow in your faith, to be in the Word of God, to get in a small group, to, to serve, to, so that your faith is rooted. Because life is hard. But life with Christ will see you through. He continues on. He said, still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. He says that there's a third kind of soil. You know, the seed goes into this area, and there's, there's these thorns, and, and, and there's all this stuff. And, and it's not evil. It's not wicked. It's not immoral. It's not horrible stuff necessarily. It's just life, the worries of life, the concerns of all this stuff, the career, the job, the, the, the promotion, the accomplishment, the achievement, the acquisition, the more stuff, and, and, and it's this desire for things and, and getting distracted. It's, it's, this, it's this cluttered life with just the busyness of life. It's so, so cluttered. And it doesn't kill the plant. It just kind of chokes it so it's unfruitful just kind of gets you distracted, gets your priorities off, and, and to focus on other things. And they're not bad things, but it takes away from what God really wants to do. And so often, we mistake the activities and the achievements and the acquisitions of life for life. And Jesus says, there's so much more than that. And yet, this has become so priority for you that while, yeah, there's still some semblance, it's just not bearing fruit. It's not what God had in mind. There's so much more that you're missing out on. We're just busy with life, filled up with worries. And Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, he would say that great passage, who of you by worrying can add even a single cubit, uh, an inch to your life. Worry doesn't work. He says, hey, take a look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Does not God take care of them? And how much more important are you to God than these? Don't worry, he says. All this stuff you're going after, seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, at the end of all this, Jesus it gets to this point where, you know, he says, listen, 
all the stuff you're going after might be choking out the very thing you desperately want at the deepest level of your soul, a fruitful life. And you're trading it for artificial fruit. And out of Jeremiah, and he kind of hits two of these kind of soils. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. Break up your unplugged ground. We already looked at that. And do not sow among the thorns. So Jesus says, here are these common soil conditions. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying, so there's always going to be at least 25% that are hard soil. There's always going to be at least 25% that are shallow. There's always going to be at least 20%. That's not, he's not about ratios here. And it's not about, well, this is kind of this fatalistic way it is in life. Depending on whatever soil you are, man, bummer for you. No, no. He says it doesn't have to be this way. But I want to tell you, having been a pastor for decades, I could tell you, and I won't, but I could tell you story after story of people that I've seen in each of these situations. People that have been exposed to the gospel, heard the truth, actually seen undeniable evidence of God's work, and yet are just not receptive. I could tell you a story about a guy who's very eager about things of the Lord, and then a year later, where, where'd he go? I could tell you the story about someone who was very much involved in ministry, and yet kind of got eyes on things, not bad, evil, horrible things, but just things that took his priorities away from God and his spiritual life kind of being. You know why I can tell you these stories? Because I could tell you that guy has been me. I don't think any of us are exempt. Lloyd John Ogilvy said, maybe there's a little bit of all of these soils in each of us. Maybe there's seasons in your life that you could identify where you had a hard, I know I, I had a hardened heart. It wasn't receptive. Maybe there have been times in your life where, yeah, it all sounded good, but you just really weren't committed to it. Times where you wanted to do the right thing and you were all on board, but then you just got distracted. He says it doesn't have to be that way. And then Jesus says, let me tell you what it can be like. The good soil. The good soil. And here's the good news I think he would say is that anyone, anyone can have good soil. Anyone can be the good soil. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm just the hard path and that's just the way it all be. No, it doesn't have. You can break up that unplugged ground. Well, I'm just a shallow person. I'm just a little bit of layer of soil over a rock. No, it doesn't have to be. That. You can put roots down. Well, I just, I got ADD and I just get kind of shiny and new and I'm going after all this. No, it doesn't have to be that way. You can pull those roots. There's good soil and anyone, anyone can have that. Verse 20, he says, others, anyone, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop 30, 60 or even 100 times what is sown. This is good soil. They hear, they accept they produce. They hear, accept, produce. Notice the contrast. Hear, accept, produce against the other three soils. The hard, they don't even hear it. I mean, it just bounces off. The shallow soil, it never gets down, never gets accepted, never gets rooted. The thorns, it, it never produces. It becomes unfruitful. And he says, you don't have to be that way. You can break up that unplowed ground. You can put your roots down and, and you, can, you can bear fruit. And this life, I mean, it's going to be 36 or even 100 times. Now, now, don't get into all this, okay, does that mean if I, if I tie this much, I'll get, it's, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, 
I've come to give you life. And the life that I offer you is not always easier. And in the world's eyes, it's not always successful. But I'm telling you, it's the life that's 30, 60, 100 times better than this life you're going to pursue on all these other shiny and new things. This is the life I've created you to live. Will you hear, accept, and produce? As the word of God comes to us, it's kind of like this idea of this information and this reception and then this application. I hear it, I accept it, I produce. I hear these things, how am I gonna listen? I put my roots down, I receive it, let it, and then I apply it. I don't just hear it and receive it and agree, I apply it. Isn't that what James says? Do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Isn't that what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Another parable that we won't even get into. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the, on the stone. I mean, it's this application of God's word that will transform your life. And he says, everyone can have that life. The choice is yours. Got a quiz for you. What's the very first word he uses in this parable? Listen. Listen. And then he books him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In another parable that Pastor Brian will be preaching about, he ends it this way, and I'm not stealing his sermon. I ask permission for this. He says this, therefore, which is Brian's favorite word if you were here last week. Therefore, Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. Are you like a hard path? Who's like, yeah, I know this stuff. Ah, that's a bunch of wives' tales. That's a bunch of fables. I don't believe any of that. Ah, I'm not going to let God's word change. Ah, I'm, I'm not good enough. Are we shallow? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, nah, that was a phase of my life. That doesn't work for me. Are we distracted? Are we like good soil? I want you to listen to this. The truth for me and for you is this. I am responsible for my spiritual growth. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. You are the one that has to consider how you will listen. You cannot put that on anyone else. You can't say, well, I didn't have parents that raised me in the church. That's too bad, but you are responsible, and you can be good soil. Well, my pastor preaches too long and talks about marijuana. I'm sorry for you, <laughs> but you choose how you listen. Well, my wife, my husband, they're not spiritual leader. They're not as involved. That's, I, I, I'm sorry for you, but you are responsible for your spiritual. My small group leader won't ever get past the desserts and the crowd break. That, you are responsible. You get to choose how you will listen. Break up that unplowed ground. Put the roots down. Weed out and seek first the kingdom of God, and you will experience the life that Jesus created you to live. And here's the good news. Is that anyone, everyone, can be good soil if they choose. And that includes you. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're willing, if you want to be good soil, is to consider how you will listen. And maybe be honest and take a kind of a, a soul-searching inventory. God, are there areas 
where I've hardened my heart. And maybe you're not even aware of it because that's the way that happens. Would you reveal that to me and let me break up that unplowed ground and give me a heart of flesh? God, where are the areas that I need to deepen my roots? Be in your word, be in fellowship, be in worship, be, be in prayer, in service in, in, in my attitude. Where do I need to deepen my roots? God, are there things that if I've, I've put, not evil things, they've just become more important. Too much importance is placed on them, more so than should be. Are there some things that I need to just weed away? And maybe to take that, that honest soul inventory and say, God, I want to be good soil. As we go into this series, I pray that we will listen. Because in these simple stories, these familiar stories, Jesus unveils the mysteries that were hidden from the foundations of the earth that lead to life.